as Psalm 78 says, Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. Today we continue a series through Matthew 13, the kingdom parables in which Jesus unveils the glorious deeds of the Lord in the bringing of his kingdom that he has hidden and veiled through parables. Now, if you're here last week when we started this series, I explained what a parable was and why Jesus used them. Parables are allegorical stories, stories that have uh, parallel realities to today, and they convey and and they they give kind of a moral statement, a moral truth. And the, uh, the meaning of these parables, these little short stories, immediately sometimes isn't isn't really grasped. It's, it's hidden from us. We don't entirely get it until uh, Jesus himself explains it to us. And so um, Jesus starts to share with this crowd many different stories and parables. And so please join me in Matthew 13. Last week's parable was the parable of the sower, and this week he has a new story that he wants to share with us today, the parable of the weeds. So we hear Jesus start to teach this crowd, and this is right after he uh, 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 teaches his disciples the meaning of the parable of the sower. He says the following. He, we hear he put another parable before them saying the following. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. Jesus today also gives the meaning of the parable to his disciples, and we're going to be pulling from that as we walk through this short story. He gives, uh, uh, he gives the meaning of it in saying that the, the man who sows this seed in this field is Jesus himself, the king, uh, the son of man. The world is this field. The field that he is casting the seed into is the world as it is. And the seeds are the sons of the kingdom. What this means is that Jesus is breaking his kingdom into the world and is overtaking the world. That's what he's doing here and now. But then we hear in this parable that while his men were sleeping under the cover of night, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. The enemy being Satan, the devil. And this happens uh, hidden from our eyes, um, where right among the people of God, the enemy uh, 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 recruits sons of his own kingdom, his false kingdom. The point being is that evil itself is sown among the righteous. Just as the kingdom of God is breaking in and we can expect uh, the goodness of God and the righteousness to be coming about, so evil lies close at hand, right in the middle of the righteous. So as we see God's kingdom breaking in, as we see the church expanding, we see evil lies close at hand. Even in the church, we see wicked people, wicked things happening. 
And then the servants of this man in the parable, that's the, uh, the servants of Jesus, look out and they see weeds coming up alongside the wheat. Now, Jesus, pulling from agricultural uh, um, society in that day and age, is likely using um, uh, an analogy of this, uh, this uh, false wheat called darnel. It was a weed. It was poisonous. And it looks just like the wheat as it grows up until the ear pops up. And then they notice, hey, hold on. This isn't wheat. This is that nasty stuff. And so the servants say to the master in this analogy, um, didn't you sow good seed? Why is all this, uh, the, these weeds, why are they popping up at the same time? Jesus embedded in this parable the problem of evil. If God is, with a good God, why is there any evil at all in the world? in the church or within myself. Why is evil a problem if God is so good? Jesus is expanding his good kingdom. Why are all these bad people still here? Why is this evil happening? And Jesus, anticipating this question, answers through this parable when the master says, an enemy has done this. An enemy has done this. The enemy that Jesus is talking about, we hear in the description, is the devil, is Satan. And I don't want you to uh, have a misconception of, of who and what I'm talking about. The devil, Satan, is not a fabrication, is not uh, uh, an analogy or just sort of a metaphor, a figure of speech. He's also not God's equal opposite. God, being all-powerful and all-good, does not have an equal bad power to fight against. Satan is, instead, um, a powerful creation of God, a powerful spiritual force that God himself initially created, but Satan has twisted and fallen and now seeks to undermine the Lord's work at every moment. That's who Jesus is talking about when he says that an enemy has done this. Now, that's not to get mankind, uh, uh, take the responsibility away from, from those of us who do evil and from all the evil that man does, but it's to say that ultimately, behind the scenes, the reason that there's evil is because of the enemy. To quote St. Paul, Ephesians 6, verse 12, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. That's to really say evil that we see in the world ultimately has supernatural wicked origins and is opposed fundamentally to God. We learn two things about Satan in this parable. The first is that Satan acts deceptively and Satan uses mimicry. First off, he's deceptive. He doesn't go out right and say, ha ha, I'm evil. I'm going, you know, he, he, I'm going to attack you head on. He waits until the cover of night, unseen, unsuspecting. 
And that's when he does his work. We might not know we are looking at evil when we see it in our day and age because sometimes it comes about and it's veiled. We hear in Scripture that Satan himself sometimes masquerades as an angel of light. The enemy tries to look good in order to skirt by and to be unnoticed. So we don't, put, we don't fight against an enemy who plays fair. But also, Satan doesn't really have any of his own tricks. He, uh, he, he doesn't come up with his own strategies. He really just copies what he sees. And so Jesus says, I'm going to break my kingdom in by sowing seeds, by sowing sons of the kingdom. And then Satan says, well, not if I can help it. I'm going to do the exact same thing, but just for my team. So he's not really doing anything creative. He's simply mimicking what God has done, twisting it and making it his own. But that's the enemy. That's who ultimately evil originates from. So the, the servants who look out into the field and see this evil uh, weed coming up, so they say, Master, where did this come from? You didn't, you didn't, you're not the one responsible for this, are you? And he says, no, it's the enemy. And they, and they say, well, do you want us to root up these weeds now? And in, in an unsatisfying uh, answer, the master says, no, not yet. Why does he say that? Because in gathering the weeds, you might root up the wheat, which is not yet rooted, which is not yet mature. You might root them up along the way. Let both grow together until the harvest, and at the harvest time I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. What this is saying, what Jesus is saying is, if he were to root up all the evil right now, he might root up some who would eventually become good some who are not yet ready. And so what Jesus is showing is an incredible amount of grace, a grace period, waiting for the wheat, so to speak, to take root, for those who are not yet sons and daughters of the kingdom to be brought in to maturity. Jesus shows this incredible grace because God wants people to come into his kingdom who are not yet there, who are not yet ready, who have not yet fully been rooted in Jesus. God does not want anyone to perish, but longs for all to be brought in. And so he waits patiently. He calls graciously. There's a, there's a reason why God waits to root up evil because of this grace period. The point behind the parable, at least in Jesus' initial telling, is that there is a delayed justice. Though we want evil to be rooted up and taken care of right now, that's, God is not yet doing that yet. And so we have to wait patiently for justice to eventually come.
So then after Jesus shares this parable initially, and he does not give this explanation that we sort of worked through, he does when the disciples come to him. So just like last week, Jesus gave the parable of the sower. He didn't explain it. And the disciples were left waiting like, okay, what, what's, what's the point of this? They come to Jesus and he gives them the real explanation. He does the same today. The, the disciples come to Jesus and ask for the explanation and Jesus gives it to them. But he focuses a lot less on this present tension of good and evil co-mingling in this world and this ambiguity and he focuses a lot more on the problem of evil when it's solved. And so in verse 40, we hear Jesus say, just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so it will be at the end of the age. He says, first off, the Son of Man will send his angels. They will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and lawbreakers. That in the end, there will be a, a sorting of the good and the, un, the righteous and the wicked. It'll finally be made clear. There'll be clear separation that takes place. The problem will be resolved and there will be justice. In verse 41, we hear this, that the Son of Man will send his angels that gather up the causes of sin. The, the word uh, scandalos means like scandals, those who, who shake people's faith. The word being stumbling block, those who cause us to stumble in our walk with Jesus and those who break the law of God and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Just as God will destroy the wicked and vindicate the righteous in the end, first off, he says this, and it's meant to bring hope, but for us it might shake us. The soberness of the reality of eternal condemnation in hell. The point being that the, in the end, the state of those who are separated from God, it's permanent and it's not pleasant. Sin and its causes will finally be eradicated and there's going to be vindication for those who truly trust in Jesus and the righteousness will finally be fully on display. Jesus says, the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. They will be transfigured just as Jesus himself was transfigured on the mountain and Jesus in his resurrection is seen truly for as glorious as he is. What happens here is that Jesus' vision, his purpose for casting seed, his, the expansion of God's kingdom coming into the world, no enemy can thwart that. It will happen eventually. Jesus wins in the end. His original goal will succeed. The point being, Jesus succeeds. The world is overtaken by the kingdom of God. Our waiting for justice to come will ultimately be fulfilled. And Jesus and his kingdom will be vindicated. But that's not where we're at today, is it? We're still in this present ambiguity. 
where good and evil coexist and commingle, and there's a tension here. So what does this mean for us? What are we to do? We have to live with this present ambiguity. We don't entirely know how things will shake out in the end, what page everyone is on, until the righteous judge sorts it all out. And we'll know, we will know what that'll look like. But right now we have to just bear with it. This means that for those who follow Jesus, we know that those who truly trust in him, there will be fruit in their life. There will be life change, but not sinless perfection. In the church and in uh, the kingdom of God breaking in, we will see change. On a, we can see it on the societal level, but there will be no lasting utopia. There can't be on this side of the kingdom. What this also means is that we as Christians, as followers of Jesus, are called to show patience towards people who do not follow him, people who are outside of the kingdom. I'm not saying we should show tolerance towards abuse and laxity towards evil. We should still strive to make the world better, to fight for God's kingdom, to um, uh, punish abusers. And we, we still should have some form of justice in our society on this, uh, in this age. But we should show patience towards people outside of God's kingdom. God himself is gracious towards those who are latecomers to the kingdom of God. So if you're not in, it's not too late. The Lord Jesus wants you to be brought into his kingdom. Jesus shows this incredible grace and love towards non-believers in his day and age, towards the tax collectors, the thugs, the mafia, towards prostitutes, towards those in the adult entertainment industry, towards seedy people, people that we would say are far from Jesus. He shows them grace and mercy, not because he thinks it's okay, but because he wants them to be brought in to his kingdom. We cannot assume someone's destiny when we see them. If someone is far from Jesus, We can't assume that they will be separated from him in five years' time, ten years' time, in the end. And so we should show patience and loving kindness towards them. Not saying, okay, it's great where you are with the Lord for those who are far from him, because that's not true. But because we long for them to come to the kingdom. We should also have, in this perspective, a sober hope. Sober because there's nothing lighthearted about Judgment Day when it will eventually come, but a hope because the Lord will right every wrong on that day. And the proof of that is Jesus and his incredible wicked things that he had to endure. God vindicated him by raising him from the dead. We have proof that God will vindicate his kingdom and those who are part of his kingdom on that day. 
call is this in the parable of the weeds. Do not lose heart. We know the ending. We know that Jesus wins. So be patient and endure evil. For though evil and justice remains here with us now, the Lord will prevail in the end. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.